live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Live from Studio C. It is a dimly lit room deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications Compound. The bowels, I'm telling you. And today we're under the tutelage of our general manager, the good people of Ukraine fighting for their freedom. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're talking about that throughout the morning. Does the president of Ukraine, that poor guy, live to see Saturday? Uh, more on that later. Anyway, how you doing? We're heading into the weekend. It's Friday. The uh, Biden administration just announced their Supreme Court pick, if you haven't heard that. The timing of that seems weird to me. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll get into that a little bit for you. And... Katanji Brown, federal judge Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, which was a name that I know was uh, uh, being floated around and discussed quite a bit. I uh, I didn't look into any of the candidates. I I may wait till they name someone and then look into it. She's a 51 year old, would be the second youngest justice on the current court, and the first justice since Thurgood Marshall, with a significant experience as a defense lawyer. What for whatever that's worth. Uh, first black woman ever to serve on the court. We knew that was uh, that was a given because that's what uh, President Biden promised, even when he was a candidate. Um, but maybe we'll get into that a little bit more later. Joe has abandoned the show in its hour of need with World War Three on the verge of starting. I was thinking of the time. Was it uh, when did Obama golf and got so much uh, grief? He golfed uh, when uh, I don't know the Syria or something. That's what Joe's doing. Exact same thing Obama did. Golfing. Yes, absolutely. Oh, there's some virtual Joe. There you go. Joe's golfing when uh, the when the when the S is hitting the fan. Um, back to Ukraine uh, briefly, and we're going to talk to uh, our military strategist that we like so much, Mike Lyons, coming up at the bottom of the hour. But uh, I don't know if you saw the video of the president of Ukraine last night. He is in like a green T-shirt. That's what I think he was wearing underneath his uh, um, military gear all day long because he was in the trenches with the troops all day long. But anyway, he's in a green T-shirt up against a blank wall in hiding somewhere. And he gave a speech about, hey, how, the world is not coming. The um, troops from other countries are not coming to help us. I'm the number one target. So uh, they're, they're, they're outside of Kiev went to bed last night with the news that the Russian troops were 20 miles outside Kiev, the capital, and woke up this morning to a variety of reports that say Russian troops are now in the city on the streets. What sort of urban air, uh, warfare that's about to turn into throughout the day, I have no idea, and I don't know how well hidden Zelensky is. Is Putin actually going to find Zelensky, put him up against a wall, and shoot him? like they used to do in the old days, like the pre-modern days, like the pre-we-hear-about-it-on-our-cell-phone days. Is that what's going to happen today? Holy crap! But, yeah, the Russian troops have poured into the capital, and it's a matter of hours, I suppose, before most everybody in the government has been captured. 
were killed. They're handing out all kinds of weaponry to average citizens on the street. I saw a video this morning on one of the cable news channels where they were trying to show some like 25-year-old dude how to fire an AK-47. He clearly had no idea how you go about it, but he was willing to grab the gun and he was going to you know, take his shot literally at trying to defend his city and his country. Um, some unbelievable stories of bravery that came out yesterday that we'll pass along to you. Um, including a couple of instances where Ukrainian soldiers said uh, F you or go F yourself to Russian soldiers before they got killed, which is uh, is cool, but uh, dying ain't. And I've been saying for weeks now, I, um, I always put it in the context because my brother is in the military and he served in the Middle East uh, in, in a number of different times in both Iraq wars and that sort of thing. Would I be comfortable with him going to Ukraine? And all along, I've been saying now, especially if, 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 for instance, if Germany is not worried enough to have troops in there fighting, why in the hell would the United States be? It, it's their backyard. But I'll tell you what, I was having, I was having second thoughts today. Maybe I'm just a sap, but w- w- watching the Russian soldiers come into the town and the president say, "Look, the, nobody in the world is going to come help us. We got to fight for ourselves and die for our country." Why does the world not? I'm, I'm hearing all these speeches from various politicians, and we'll hear some uh, Senator Ben Sass, for instance, from Nebraska, who I love. Uh, a lot of Republicans, especially, that are out there making the argument of why this is a big deal, why you should care, why it's important. It's kind of incongruous that I'm hearing these speeches about why I should care and how important it is for world history and how this is this is something the United States has to stand behind because nothing could matter more, and here's why. But not enough that we actually, uh, you know, the world actually stands up and puts any blood on the line. It's not that important. So I'm having trouble understanding that argument completely. Maybe Mike Lyons, who's been against the idea of U.S. troops all along, will explain better how uh, this can be both so important but not important enough to do anything about it. As their young president, comedian, YouTube star might get shot by Russian soldiers today. And people are dying all over the place. Anyway, we'll have more on that later. We'll look into that, Judge. Um, oh, inflation numbers. I don't, I, you know, certainly don't want to have all bad news. Um. On a Friday, who wants that? But uh, inflation numbers are not good, not good at all. So um, laid out some of the things we're going to be able to get to today. We got clips of the week coming up in the next segment. And uh, oh, I didn't officially start the show. I need to do that because if you don't officially start the show, we violate all kinds of FCC regulations, and then we end up in some sort of uh, I don't know Federal Communications Commission gulag. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this Friday, February 25th, the year 2022. We are Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Let's begin the show. New you in 2022. You know that. Let's begin the show at Mark. Keep inside, keep inside, inside, in here, here. How wall. can I, how can I find right. Focus. Let, let's move down this way, against the wall. I need you to check my face. It's okay, it's okay, keep chill. So what was that, Michael? That was a CNN crew going through Kiev and uh, ran into a firefight. Yeah. So they're trying to get around it. Imagine waking up to that in your modern city. It would be it'd be hard to get your mind to register that this is really happening in the year 2022. With all the 
progress we feel like we've made. Something as ancient as a bigger, tougher foe wants to take what you have is happening right there in your street. And you can film it on your cell phone and you can tweet out about it, but the realities are no different than they were 50 years ago, 500 years ago, or 5,000 years ago. Brutes take stuff if they can, unless somebody's willing to, uh, as strong or stronger is willing to stand up and stop them. That's something. Um, headline out right now, the Kremlin, that's the capital of Russia there in Moscow, the, the government building. It's like the White House says. The Kremlin said it was ready for talks with Ukraine as the Russian military closes in on the Ukrainian capital. So I guess they're trying to negotiate some sort of surrender or something. I don't have any idea if uh, that's on the mind of President Zelensky or not. Some sort of deal or surrender as opposed to getting captured and shot. I have no idea. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. So clips of the week and a lot more on the way. Stay with us. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Katanji Brown Jackson, that's the name of the next Supreme Court justice. It has been announced. She got the phone call from uh, President Biden last night, and she accepted. 51-year-old liberal replacing another liberal, so it won't have any effect on the ideology of the court, although... If you follow this sort of stuff at all, you know that justices uh, fairly regularly don't vote uh, the way people think they're going to. But a little more on her background coming up in just a second. I I feel like there's a reason they would have because you, you know when you announce who's going to bring be on the Supreme Court, that's going to be a giant news story. Is there a reason the Biden administration would want this to be part of the news story today as Kiev falls to the Russians or just seems like a weird time to do it to me. Um, Maybe I'm thinking too much about it. Um, More on her history in just a second. Again, we're going to talk to Mike Lyons about what's going on in Ukraine right now as the Russians are in the capital. Russian soldiers are in the capital. Um, So stay tuned for that conversation. I look forward to hearing what he has to say. Uh, This is what we do every Friday at this time. We take a fond look back at the week that was. It's an acronym, C-O-W, Clips of the Week. We call it COW. I mean, listen, guys. Listen, guys. Honk, honk. Who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right? Ukraine is just not our neighboring country. It's an integral part of our own history. Vladimir Putin himself is talking about denazifying Ukraine. The leader of Ukraine is not a Nazi. He's a democratically elected leader. He's Jewish. Very capable. I have enormous respect for him. I've been criticized for saying that. No, I have enormous respect for him. I I say it plainly. I'll support the proposal on recognition. You will support or you support. Speak directly, Sergei Evgenievich. There is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell. If you're you know, late in life in the 60s and this is kind of it, maybe that's what you try to do and you try to, to, be, to be, you know, a, a bump in the battlefield. But within the context of a diplomatic path still being open 
the deterrence effect we believe has merit. But she can't possibly be dim and childish. America is a superpower. It would never put a senile man and an imbecile in charge of the country. On the other hand, maybe so. It's a really amazing day. I think we're going to look back on this day and say this is the moment that, you know, U.S. soccer changed um, mm -hmm. for the better. I saw an extremely eerie scene where both were thrashing in their beds um, asleep, but both kicking and moving pretty aggressively. Don't worry about it. So what are they going to do to you then? Nothing. I did get COVID again. This was scary. So scary. I'm talking... Ponderosa suddenly had a prime rib in the middle of the buffet line. Scary. Sonny and Cher was a great act. Not geopolitically. <laughs> I mean, listen, guys. Listen, guys. Honk, honk. Probably have more to say about this as it moves on. I'm hoping diplomacy is still available. Thank you all very much. I hadn't heard that Neil Cavuto of um, Fox Business News talking about his COVID. That's pretty funny. It was scary. I mean, it was they're out of stake in line at the buffet scary. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That is pretty funny. So uh, who is this? Uh, we're going to talk Ukraine because it's, uh, it's a story I'm super into. And the Russians are on the street of the Capitol. And I think there's a chance that poor President Young guy who's been very brave the last several days. President of Ukraine, I have a feeling he might be shot today, which is just awful. It's just, it's just, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that the world is going to let this happen. I, I get the realities of it, but it's just, I don't know. I've always had a trouble with the lack of fairness and, and the world is not fair. And this is maybe the biggest example I've seen in a long time of the world is not fair. So for some reason, the Biden administration decided to make their big announcement of who they're putting on the Supreme Court today. And uh, that will get a lot of attention, obviously. Katanji Brown Jackson, 51-year-old African-American woman, is going to be the next Supreme Court justice. He had announced when he was running for president that he was picking a black woman. We went through that whole controversy, whether that was a good idea or not. This woman, um, I've heard her name bandied about a lot since this started, and she is incredibly qualified, whether you agree with her view of things or not, she's incredibly qualified, and there's no getting around the fact that it does her a disservice that it will look to a lot of people like, you got picked because you're a black woman, as opposed to the fact that she's completely qualified and she's a black woman, which is the way it would have been looked at if he hadn't announced it ahead of time. Anyway, she was born in Washington, D.C. in 1970, Grew up in Miami in a family that valued public service. I'm reading from the Washington Post. Her parents began their careers as public school teachers. She has two uncles that were cops. One of them even went on to become the Miami police chief. She was a high school debate champion and class president. She earned her undergraduate and law degrees from Harvard because we can only pick our Supreme Court justices from Harvard or Yale, where she met her future husband, who is a surgeon. She went on to work as a law clerk for three federal judges, including... Justice Breyer, who she is replacing. So she is uh, well-known to the guy that's headed out the door. In eight years on the U.S. District Court, Jackson has presided over hundreds of cases. 
According to the Washington Post, Republican lawmakers are likely to revive questions about several of her rulings against the Trump administration. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen or not. Um, she got into a whole bunch of the immigration issues and the Trump uh, Trump presidency and that sort of stuff. But uh, I'll let people who are more into the law look into that. And again, uh, as we've learned over the years, people don't always end up being the justice you think they were going to be when they end up sitting on the bench. But the um, ideological makeup of the court is not going to change. It's still 6-3 leaning conservative. The gender makeup is the most balanced it's ever been in court history. It's now 5-4 dude to chick. As recently as 2009, there was only one woman on the court. There's a dang sausage party in there. There's only one woman on the court. As recently as 2009, now it's 5-4 man to woman. Um, Might stay that way forever, for all I know. It might just be seen as you got to have you know a certain number of women, a certain number of men. To keep it balanced, but uh, so there you go. Maybe we'll talk to some legal experts about that when we get a chance. Inflation's up. We got to talk about that. Latest numbers that are out. That's not a surprise to anybody that buys gas or groceries or anything at all. Not a surprise at all. We're going to talk to Mike Lyons again. I think we've talked to him every day this week. We've had to because there are so many ongoing stories around Ukraine and Russia and China and everything else. We'll talk to our military analyst, Mike Lyons, in just a few minutes. I hope you can stay with us. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know what this is? This is the attempted assassination of the Ukrainian government. This is an attempt to remove President Zelensky. And what we do know about President Putin is he gets fixated on individuals. Just think about the fact that uh, he won't say Alexei Navalny's name. He's so fixated. And I think he's fixated on removing President Zelensky uh, by whichever means. Uh, and I think that's what this operation is about. Now, you know, again, what uh, Sergei Lavrov says is, is that they do want to install a government that isn't a, a puppet government of the United States. But you know, the Ukrainian government is not a puppet government of the United States. We've seen again and again di- differences between President Zelensky and President Biden. That's democracy. That's democracy. That's Keir Simmons of MSNBC, who's been doing fabulous reporting on this story all along. Russians are on the streets. Russian soldiers are on the streets of Kiev. And, uh, yeah, um, President Zelensky said so himself last night. He said, I'm, I'm prime target number one. Let's talk to Mike Lyons, as we have almost every day this week, because there's been constant news coming out of this. Mike served with various military organizations in both the United States and Europe throughout his career. Commanded Alpha Battery, 3rd Battalion, 17th Field Artillery, etc., etc., etc. All kinds of di- different operations, including a Bronze Star for his actions in combat. Mike, welcome back to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be back with you. I, I, I need a cold realist like you to talk me out of feeling like we in the Western world should be fighting this fight. Because, man, watching that poor President Zelensky last night, he looked scared. He ought to be scared. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a guy that realizes he might be dead by later today. Yeah. Um how do, how, do we, how, do, how does the world allow this to happen? Is it just because it, it, it would be too hard to stop? Yeah, it, it would be. I mean, you know, the upside right now is <clears throat> I, I think it's not gone that well for Vladimir Putin so far. Okay, good. I want to hear that. Okay. 
So, so I think that's the upside. Um, there's been no shock and awe. You know, they, they're trying to brag about 100 or so, 150 missiles they fired. That's nothing compared to the kind of, um, you know, air campaign that I thought they were going to put together. There's really been no cyber attacks in these outside cities. There's really been no uh, other air campaign that's existed. Um, the Russian um, army units appear to be getting caught up with, uh, with certain things, and they're not advancing any quickly. So they're not combining any kind of air mobile, you know, operations that, that I'm seeing so far. And I think that he recognizes from a, from a military perspective that if you don't have initiative, you don't have momentum, you have nothing. So I, I think that there's a little bit of like an overreach and underestimation of how this has gone. But number two, though, the problem, though, is he's now just going to go right to the source. To your point, he's going right, right to Kiev. He's going right to that airstrip there. Airborne troops are hanging in there. He realizes he doesn't need a lot to go after the president. Now the question is, how well will it, will he be protected? Um, that that still remains to be seen. There, but the other the other downside is is almost inevitable because there's nothing we can do. It's too late. We should have been doing things 20 years ago. We should have been doing things five years ago. We should have been doing things three months ago. And in some ways, I hate to say this, but um, you know the Ukraine country itself should have been preparing for a better defense in depth that. They weren't doing because they just never expected him to do this. Yeah, and my argument all along has been um, I'm looking at the map right now up on uh, one of the cable news channels and all those countries mm-hmm. around Ukraine, the European countries that they aren't putting soldiers in. Right. They, they, why would I be more worried in the United States than they are? Right. But uh, yeah. go ahead. You, know, you, you could argue right now NATO should be putting together about 100,000 unit force uh, from each country. Each country ponies up about 10,000 soldiers. We, you know, we're, we're at that number right now. Um, I'm not sure you can get 10,000 Germans out of bed right now, frankly, to, to, to care about this, which is wow. another separate issue. And, yeah, I mean, they should be thrown out of NATO at this point, given what their lack of contribution and, and what, what the cause of, you know, they're not voting for the SWIFT bank, all, all the things. Frankly, Germany's been not not a very strong ally. But anyway, you, and, and at least right now, because we've got to stop thinking about his intent. You know, we're trying to figure out what he's, oh, he's going to do. This is what he's going to do and, and start focusing on his capability. He's got the capability right now to side with Belarus, who's become, you know, a rogue state as well. They've got responsibility for, for this. They, they're just as criminal. They're just as responsible for this invasion uh, as, as Russia is and the leaders there. Um, and they've got they, – they clearly have capability to turn this whole thing north and say, you know what, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, you look good. Let's go. Um, and I think the, 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 the simulations show that they could do that in a, in a very short time. Same like what they're doing in Kiev right now. And I think that's got to be the focus. If NATO wants to be relevant and stay in the game, they've got to put more on the board than you know, 10,000 troops and a couple of helicopters and a couple of air wings. Why was Saddam Hussein going into Kuwait the sort of thing you could line up the whole free world to stop, but a, a guy with much more capability militarily like Putin going into Ukraine, we all just watch. Well, the thing is, he, we let him get into Kuwait, and then we ejected him out of it. So we, we, we showed up there as liberators as opposed to invaders, and I think that's that's the issue. Now, I, I think I've never told you the story, but I remember going to a brief presentation and briefing and, and back in the day. They were talking about this and saying that if, that if he was successful early on, it was going to take a four-year D-Day-type invasion to eject him from Kuwait, which I was just dumbfounded at the time when I saw that level of intel. Um, but he just was, was dumb and you know gets into a country, thought he could hold it the same way, and then you had the masterful 
George Bush and Baker and the, the, the alliance that they put together with Arab nations and nations throughout the world wasn't, wasn't a NATO job. Um, they got nations, over 30 nations that got involved there. And um, in, in what's really been the most successful military operation post, post-World War II, it's something that we you know, clearly won. But the other thing, too, is <clears throat> I think he's underestimated the amount of troops that he needed to bring to the battle. Um, we brought 500,000 troops to the field that day in, in Desert Storm for those four days. A and, stunning number. Right, exactly. And now he's Putin's bring has is, let's say 190, but the 190 you've got what's called you know what's called ash and trash, right? The things in the back, and there's, there's not 190,000 warriors. That's, that's 190,000 total soldiers. So I, I'll bet you that combat capability is maybe a third of that. But the bottom line is, when we brought 500,000 troops to the battlefield, we had 350,000 or so had had weapons in their hands. So I don't know if he's brought enough warriors to this fight, and I think he's recognizing that right now. Yeah, I was just watching President Zelensky yesterday in a, in a number of pleas to the world, and then his final video last night when I he was said to the people, uh, you know, come get your guns, fight, nobody's going to come help us. We're on our right. own. And I thought, geez, that's a heck of a position to be in. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw that story. President Zelensky actually tweeted this out, that this little island that I was unaware of till yesterday called Snake Island there. Yeah. Uh, and there are a, a bunch of Ukrainian soldiers there, and uh, Russia Russians pull up in their boats and said, surrender, and the Ukrainians said, go F yourselves. Right. And the Russians killed them all. Yeah, I think we're going to soon see the atrocity phase of this, um, and that's going to be th- those kinds of things. They didn't have to do that. Uh, they could have surrounded them out. They could have tried to make them surrender. I, this is we're going to see how the Russian soldier acts in the face of humanitarian crises and humanitarian situations. And again, as invaders, they're they're so focused on their mission. So uh, you know, again, there's going to be this atrocity phase, I'll call it, where there's going to be unnecessary death and destruction. But it's all about what Russia does. This is what they did in Syria. This is what we allowed them to do in Syria. And now it's going to be on television. The amount of, you know, I'm watching closely. All these pictures come back. They, they tell us things about what's actually going on the ground. They tell us things about Russian equipment. They tell us things about how people are doing. Uh, and that's what I think we've got to be our, on our eyes for. It's going to happen sooner than later, this atrocity phase. If Putin does kill Zelensky, especially if it's in a, in a way that um, is videotaped in some way, you know, video get, it gets out right. of him being captured or killed or whatever, yeah. uh, what do you think that'll do to world opinion? Yeah, no, exactly. And, well, it, it's we're, we're going to have to recognize that he now could still turn his army to go to Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. I think, we, we, you know, we're sitting here amazed and hoping, well, he's really not going to do that. That's really not going to end up happening. And sure enough, it happens, you know, right on television. Because that, that message gets translated all the way down to the lowest level because it's not Putin that's going to do it. It's going to be some Spetsnaz unit that's going to be doing it. It's going to have orders to do it. So there, there, there's going to be no orders to necessarily try to just capture him if he if he dies and it's on video you know if the world can't isolate vladimir putin now and we can't produce stronger sanctions than what the president rolled out yesterday and basically said ah we'll check back in a month and see how it goes it's gonna be over it's gonna be over in 10 minutes i mean come on you you gotta be kidding me if we can't come up with something better than what we've rolled out with to isolate him then it's does show you that the world's really not interested in, in doing just that. Yeah, the disconnect between the uh, the people being interviewed on the streets, or talking about a video earlier where they were handing out uh, what looked like AK-47s to uh, people on the street, and some guy looking at it like he's seen it for the first time, trying to figure right. out, you know, where's the trigger and which direction do you point this, but he just got handed that gun and he's going to fight for his country. Yeah, I, that's the only thing I put anything on, on the president there. He should have at least had some undercurrent of a better 
defense in depth and put the country more on a war footing. I think we talked about the fact that I hope we're on a cyber war footing right now in our country. We're not necessarily publicizing it, but but there's got to be this war footing that <clears throat> took place on the ground, minefields being laid, much better defenses. Look, the, the Russian military had does have the numbers to overwhelm. Um, but they could create certain choke points that could that clearly and have been making a difference. I've seen some things on CNN. You're seeing some of the battles taking place. The javelins are working. You know, that's a, that's a weapon system that uh, does give them some confidence. Um, but at the end of the day, he, he just does have that many more forces. Um, where do you get your information? How do you follow a story like this? Because there's, you know, the, the, the classic, the first uh, casualty of war is the truth. How, how do you tr- try to follow this uh, as a guy with your experience and, and feel like you know what's going on? Yeah, so I do have still context uh, in the Pentagon and okay. high level flex. I work, I, you know, I'm a, I work at West Point, so we, we that do helps. get information. It's not, yeah, it's not necess- It's not unclassified. My my job, I think, is to take these data points that I see and then translate them better uh, on the ground uh, for what for what kind of things go on. And, and watching, uh, you know, the media has been pretty good, and the, the amount of videos. Uh, that are out there, you, you just tell you can tell the, the equipment that's coming through. So, like for example, the the when the artillery that was being fired wasn't really artillery; it was cruise missiles, and they didn't really fire a lot of them. It means they tell me they don't really have a lot of them because there's no way that 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 artillery that they have that's towed or that's mechanized is in any kind of range right now. Take that's only seven or eight you know miles away or twenty miles away. They're, they're not that close to Kiev. It's so the only thing we've seen really. Um, is and, and Kiev in these major cities is the strategic weapons because they're the only ones that have the capability to reach them. So that's kind of what I interpret when I see those kinds of things on the ground. How seriously do you take Putin's nuclear threat that he made, uh, what, 48 hours ago? And yeah. if he used nuclear in any way, anywhere, what would the reaction to that be? So, so go back to Russian doctrine, which says they would escalate to nuclear in order to de-escalate the situation. They think that if they used mm-hmm. nuclear weapons that we wouldn't respond to that. Um, I think that's a function of what he believes is our involvement. If we, if he, um, if we cross the border or if we, if there's, let's say some blatant type of support that he thinks, um, who's to say he doesn't launch a, a tactical nuke or launch it at a, he, he's got capability with this missile technology that he's got better than ours in Europe right now. He could take out a Western European city, London, Paris, Berlin. I mean, name your, name your, your city. Um, so, yeah, no, we've got to recognize that, you know, last time Nikita Khrushchev said we will bury you, he said that in the 50s, and we haven't had heard something like that from a Russian leader since, but that's right out there. We have to look at capability and not intent. Wow. That's some good stuff right there. Mike Lines, military analyst, we appreciate uh, every time we have you on, especially at a time like this. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, take a look at his capability, not his intent. That is something. The disconnect between the people in the street, the politicians, the, the the average person grabbing a gun, and the diplomats. I can't imagine if I'm a 28-year-old dude. I've just sent my family off, uh, you know, wife and kids in the car with a credit card and a quarter tank of gas. You know, get as far away from here as you can. I've just been handed a gun I don't know how to sh- shoot. And uh, I'm hearing news stories of diplomats talking about, well, it'll, you know, as President Biden said yesterday, you know, in a matter of it's going to take a couple of months for these sanctions to, to set in a couple of months. My wife and kids are over there dodging bombs. I've got a gun in my hands. I can see Russians on the outskirts of town in a couple of months. The sanctions will kick in. That would be so disheartening. 
What are your thoughts? Text line 415-295-KFTC. More on the way. New inflation numbers you should hear about and a bunch of other stuff. Armstrong and Getty. Following last night's Russian invasion of Ukraine, the price of oil has jumped to above $100 a barrel for the first time since 2014. And I'm the second person to tell you that if your friend has a Tesla. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Us Tesla drivers, we take a beating. Uh, Price of gas is a thing, man. Price of gas is a thing. I've always thought, I've talked about this for years, I think. Most people overreact to rises in the price of gas. Other things can go up that cost much more, but for some reason, we focus on the price of gas. But it's true. People do focus on the price of gas, and it is the highest it's ever been, and it's going to go significantly higher. And how that plays into the politics of the whole Ukraine-Russia thing, I don't know. But um, California... I heard a couple of experts say they solidly expect it to hit six $6 within a couple of weeks. Woo! I find $5 to be appalling. $6 is just... If you got a big SUV, like my... Uh, I drive an Expedition, has got a 32-gallon tank. $6? You're, that's almost $200 to fill up a tank of gas. That's crazy. One angle of this whole thing that is disturbing to me... On the gas angle, how many of the people on the left love it when the price of gas goes up? Love it. Drive a guy like me out of my big fossil fuel SUV and get me into a bicycle or a a Prius or whatever, or a Tesla. One of the reasons I bought a Tesla is I added up how much I was spending a month on gas, and I thought, well, this will make half a car payment right here. Um yeah, so a lot of the left, any threats of gas going up, Biden can talk about, I'm concerned about the price of gas. I'm going to do what I can to get it down. Are you really? Are you really is one of the leaders of uh, pushing us to electric cars and everything like that? I, I don't know if I believe you. Um, What's the other thing I was going to mention? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, maybe I'll get back to that later. The Fed's favorite inflation gauge up 5.2%. I don't know the PCE measure, but apparently that's the one that... Uh, if you're really into the numbers on inflation and stuff like that, that's the numbers smart people use, the PCE number, not the dumb number that the rest of us use. Well, that number, uh, PCE, the core PCE measure rose 5.2% in January from a year ago, the biggest rise in inflation since April 1983. All of these numbers have been coming back as the biggest this, the biggest that since the early 80s, roughly 40 years Orders for durable goods reflected the buoyant spending, rising 1.6% or double the expectations. So consumer spending popped. Um, but how much of the spending is because things cost more? That's always a little confusing to try to figure that out. Um, you also have pent-up demand because of the, you know, the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. But uh, more bad news on the inflation front. Oof. So you got inflation driving the price of gas and everything up. And then this war, who knows how long that takes and how sanctions play out. And um, 
and how that's going to affect the prices going up um, also. And how long before people are starting to scream and yell about what the hell are you doing and, and punish some political party that we decide is um, is the reason for gas being so expensive, whether it makes sense or not. How long can a, any administration survive regular inflation numbers coming out every couple of weeks that are also are uh, the headline always includes highest numbers since the 80s, biggest number in 40 years? That's attention getting stuff right there. We've got somebody we think a reporter uh, in Ukraine. Is that right, Hanson? Somebody's actually in Ukraine? In Moscow. Okay. Somebody's in Moscow. Oh, here's something. How much time have I got, Michael? Uh, maybe you've seen the videos of uh, people down in the subway stations there in... Oh, I'm going to save that story. Here's something important. Do we have a like a da-da-da-da or something like that? We can use a fanfare, Michael, because this is an important moment for the Armstrong and Getty show. And I, I think Joe will be on board because I just read this text. From the text line, when I first started hearing Kiev, the capital of Ukraine pronounced Kiev, I assumed it was some sort of woke virtue signaling. I didn't assume that. But I heard a Ukrainian explain that Russia pronounces it Kiev, but Ukrainians have always called it Kiev. So it's a signal of solidarity to say it the way Ukrainians say it. So fanfare, Michael. I am officially changing to Kiev as of right now. From now on, I'm pronouncing it Kiev because that's the way the Ukrainians pronounce it. Kiev is the Russian pronunciation. So from now on, it's Kiev in my book. If you miss an hour of the show, grab it on the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.